0: I always love telling you about RoCasa Organics. They have the best cleaning products, home goods products, candles, um, and products for your personal care. They even have things for your pets. All of their products are non-toxic and organic things with ingredients that you can pronounce. You know what you're using to clean your home. You know what's in your deodorant. You know what's in all of the products that they put forward. And it's a good feeling to not read the back of a label and have to Google something because you know what it is and you know, it's healthy to use on your body and for your family. So Cecily, I can see in the background, you got some products sitting out there. Yeah, we love RoCasa. We love using their products. We don't just tell you about them. We use them for mm-hmm. ourselves and for our families. You can go to RoCasaOrganics.com and use the code boom to save 20% on your order. Welcome to the Boom Clap podcast. Today, we have a listener request guest. We asked you guys at the beginning of the year to tell us anyone that you are interested in hearing from on our podcast. And we had a listener request that we got in touch with right away. And she said, yes. So guys, we do listen to you. If you have Mm -hmm. guests you want to hear from, let us know. But this one, Jess, Jess Sowards of Roots and Refuge came on with us today. And she was a delight. I felt Fed after this episode Mm -hmm. is what I told Cecily and she said the same but to introduce her I'm going to just read the text that I got from a friend telling me about her because it was very complimentary and I think you guys are going to like hearing what she's about straight from the listener's mouth so she said that um, she and her husband are homesteaders from South Carolina and she's been impressed and encouraged by what Jess shares in her description was that she's passionate about clean food and mindful living, but never legalistic or judgmental. She encourages her followers to do the best they can with where they're at. She discusses issues like food security and the fragility of our food supply chain without ever catastrophizing it or using fear as motivation, which we appreciate. Mm-hmm. She's a believer and speaks openly about her faith but has created a diverse online community that is uncommonly kind and gracious and welcoming to everyone. She says that the comments and the kindness and the um, comment sections of Facebook are so gracious that it's surreal. So mm-hmm. she just says that there's no drama and everybody's kind coming from very <laughs> differing backgrounds, which yeah. is
1: abnormal. It is <laughs> right abnormal. Now. That's yeah. a breath of fresh air. Even just yeah. hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah. So but I can see why, like when we talk to Jess, like yeah. I don't know. When you said you felt fed by it, I felt like that was the best description. And I feel like sometimes God gives us guests that we need to hear from just mm-hmm. as much as our listeners, which is really cool. Yeah,
0: yep, yeah, I agree. So I'm excited for you guys to hear from her. Um, you guys need to follow us on Instagram if you don't. We did start at the end of the year, middle of the year last year, an Instagram page dedicated to our podcast. It's at Boom Clap Podcast, um, and you can go to the Boom Community dot site if you want to check out what we have there. Let's get into the episode with Jess. All right, Jess, we're happy to have you on with us today. I was talking to you beforehand, and I had mentioned that I didn't know of you really at all. So my friend sent you as a guest suggestion, and. So we're going to get to know you today, just like our listeners. And I'm really happy Mm -hmm. for that. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, Cecily and I have both been scouring your Instagram, looking at all of your things. And I'm excited for this conversation. I think we'll talk gardening a little bit, but I think just life too. Um, So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself to start out and how Roots and Refuge started?
2: Yeah, so my husband, Jeremiah, and I, Whenever we first got married, he knew that I had this deep desire to have a homestead one day. And it's kind of started just on this like really romantic notion I had as a child of wanting a big red barn and chickens in the yard and garden rows and farm life, the quintessential picture of that that you imagine as a, a person who's never actually done it at all. And I grew up in town. I had absolutely no experience or even really much exposure to that way of living. So it was, my idea of it was purely based on like children's books and very Mm -hmm. idyllic views. So in 2014, we had the opportunity to buy a foreclosed property. It was four acres and we were in central Arkansas at the time. Uh, At the time we were doing Mm full-time ministry and had multiple very young children at home. And we moved onto this property, just started working. And in the very quick process of digging our hands into trying to build infrastructure and really work on this house, which when we got it was unlivable, Mm -hmm. Um, we really started to hear the Lord talking to us about being prepared, but also stewardship. So at the time of hearing that message, we heard it through a lot of fear and we got really fearful and we started making honestly some really poor decisions regarding like taking on a lot of debt and really getting in over our head. And after a couple of years of just bumbling through homesteading and doing literally everything wrong, we really began to view that same message through the lens of grace and learning that like really we felt like the Lord was leading us into learning how to homestead. And that shifted our view entirely where it wasn't like, oh goodness, we have to prep or else because something oh. awful is happening. And it was like, oh no, he's, he's a gentle leader and he's leading us into learning. And so that really, there was a hard shift about two years into it for us. Where we really began viewing ourselves as students, and embracing every single thing as an opportunity to learn and grow, which I would say uh, two years after that was whenever we had the the kind of the word come to us about sharing it on social media. And at the time, I was already doing like Instagram and all these different things. Not a tech savvy person at all, so I started doing YouTube videos real regularly. Then I dabbled in it a little bit, but I'd never taken it seriously. And in 2018, I started to like. I say I started to do YouTube like it was my job, even though nobody was watching me. It wasn't my job, but I decided to start showing up like it was. And through that, uh, really sharing the garden and the homesteading life, the platform really started to take off, which of course opened a lot of doors for us to be able to grow what we were doing. And now six years later, I mean, it has gone from that original dream and expanded just an incredible, incredible way. We live in South Carolina now. We have 27 acres Um, we're in the process of opening some business. We have a coffee roastery and we're opening a coffee shop as well as a homesteading education slash supply store. Um, And we just love to teach people about this life. We we say we like to make a seat at our table and just let people kind of come in and get a glimpse of how we're living in hopes that it would inspire and equip them to find the same freedom that we have amazing.
1: So from the time that you guys first started, it's been
2: how many years now? Uh, This is 10 years for us, actually. We're we're right at 10 years of actually getting our first rural homestead property. And now prior to that, there was about another 10-year period prior where we were living in town. And I was foraging and shopping locally and learning everything I can, learning to can, learning to cook from scratch. And uh, learning a lot of the skills. I like to tell people to turn your waiting room into a classroom. And I've definitely felt stuck in the waiting room for that decade where I just desperately wanted a farm. I couldn't yep. have it. So I just prepared myself as much as possible to get it. Uh, so I I kind of feel like my foray into the homesteading life was nearly 20 years ago, but wow, but really actively hands-on, it's been 10. Hmm.
1: That's a, a great quote. Turn your waiting room into a classroom. Um, because I was going to say like 10 years, if you hadn't been doing that learning ahead of time, 10 years from like not living that lifestyle before, that would be like, it would be super impressive to get to yeah. where you are now because there is so much that goes into it, into yeah. just caring for animals, caring for garden. And there's there's always something more to learn, which is yes. can be overwhelming if you take that first mindset that you had of like, we just have to prep because something terrible is coming. But you're right; right God is, God is full of grace, and that's never the message that He wants to send to us. So, that's a really For cool sure. story. Thank yeah. you.
0: I feel like you led into every topic I want to talk mm-hmm. to you about within <laughs> that snippet there. So great, great job. Um the first thing I didn't think I would lead off with this but the first thing is you had a caption I think it was maybe the la- like the most recent post you did and it said the earnest belief that you can build anything together sure does change the way a couple dreams and this really spoke to my heart and even more so when you just got done talking there about your childhood and how you had this romantic vision um I did grow up around the farm my dad farmed um my grandpa had a hog farm like we were in a farm environment, but my house was in town and I always wanted to live in the country. And I have that and I have a couple cows and my husband's a farmer, but I am a huge dreamer and I still have visions for my family. And my husband's not as much of a dreamer. He's very practical and like this, Mm -hmm. you know, everything falls like this. And so
2: tell me about that. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm going to have him listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that is very much our dynamic as well. I am the dreamer and the visionary, if you will. My husband, we say he's the, the one who administrates and executes. Yeah. We call him operations manager. That's his official title <laughs> oh, right. on our farm. Uh, is he's the operations manager and I am definitely the idea factory and if I am the high-flying kite, he is 100% the anchor that keeps me from flying away. Um, if I was not pushing and pulling and and dreaming, he probably would have stayed still in his life. And so we've done very good things for each other in that regard. Um, Jeremiah and I came together. We, we both got married when we were really, really young. And we came together with the broken pieces of our first attempts at of having a family. So our story just started out as one of redemption. Um, we had, I had my two oldest sons, he had his daughter and we started our family and then we got married and then we had three little boys together. And I remember when we first got together, when we were dating, we were sitting in church one day and this pastor said it takes seven years to blend a family. And I was like, it's not going to take us that long. And it (laughs) definitely took us that long. Um, not a, from a lack of love or choice, but it just, whenever you're coming together with broken pieces, I mean, you just have to choose to come together, and you have to get over all those things. You have to get healing. You have to surrender so many things to the Lord. So the early years of our marriage were definitely working through all those things. It was essentially letting letting the wounds heal um, together. And, and it's interesting, you know, I made that post about. We could the earnest belief that we could build anything together, that has ultimately sprouted from the fact that we built a family together. And with obviously the help of God and with the the grace that we were given and the mercy that we were given and the healing that we were given, we put together a family out of broken pieces. And it is beautiful and it's strong and it's flawed, but it's worthy. And I really feel like when we come together in marriage, the thing that will teach us and make us the most brave is when we decide to build a family. And -hmm. of course, we know that God is like so passionate about the family unit because that's what he brought Jesus into the world through is the family unit. That speaks a really loud message. So now we're doing things like building big businesses and we've built this big platform and we've built this beautiful farm and we've done all of these other things, which ultimately are sitting on the foundation of us having built a family, having built a Mm -hmm. strong relationship. Um, and so that, you know, now we're business partners. We joke because we work, we both work from home. You know, some days we go all day without even laying eyes on each other because we're doing all of these different jobs and we're managing our children and activities and growing all our food and cooking all our food. I mean, we have so much on our plate and we like to laugh back at the 10 years ago when we were struggling (laughs) like a fraction of what we're dealing with now. Yeah, But I think about it now, you know, we go on these walks around our farm now and we think about what's next. What are we going to build next? We're getting ready to build a house this year. And the things that people say, oh, buckle up, it's going to be hard. We just kind of are like, oh, no, we've built harder things than this. You know, oh, we've, we have yeah. we have built something way harder than a house. And so while things may be challenging, we still have complete confidence that we can do them. And that really does change everything. It changes how you dream to have confidence. That's so good.
1: That's an incredible testimony. And it, uh, firstly, I would love to sit down with you and your husband with my, me and my husband one day because very same dynamic. I'm very much like the dreamer, the idea person. And bless his heart. Like, and I don't mean that in like the sassy Southern way because I'm, I'm Canadian, <laughs> like I'm Northern. Like, he is the doer. Like, I will say, like, this is what I think we yes. should do. Like, even like something simple as, like, some of my plans for the garden this year, like we've always had a very functional garden this year. I, and it's been beautiful, but this year I really want to add some like very whimsical details and like just magical things, especially for the kids because they're getting to the age where they're 12, 10 and eight and they're running out of those years where it's like magical, you know? And so brought him some ideas and he's like on board, like a hundred percent. Like he would never come up with the ideas himself. But he's the one that can make the ideas happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So I can really relate to that. That's a beautiful right early thing in the about morning husbands. here. <laughs> yeah, I'm losing my voice. I always do this in the morning. But you, your um, what you talked about in that whole bit there reminded me of this other beautiful post that you have, and it's this beautiful picture of you in the garden with your hands like just kind of held out in surrender. It's just a gorgeous picture. Like you look like you're worshiping, and you wrote. Herein lies the secret. All the seasons of surrender in my life have yielded the greatest points of breakthrough. All of the times that I, I thought surely I would break into, I did not. But when I have learned to settle in, to relinquish control and the way I thought I would go, then beauty unfolds in such a miraculous way. You're a great writer. I mean, Thank you. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think the reason you're such a great writer is because you mean every word, you know, like, and it's like a post like that, like you said, has been kind of hard fought and hard won and it really comes through. So I think you're very inspiring just even to just listen to, um, like, like you said, you've built harder things than what you're going to build. And that kind of leaves people with this feeling of hope and possibility, which is a really, really cool testimony.
2: Thank you. You know, when it comes to having the dynamic of the doer and the dreamer, it's really easy and I did this for a long time, I thought in order for us to get movement on the homestead and movement on my dreams that I desperately needed to convince my husband. His name is Jeremiah. You'll hear me call him Maya. That's his. Oh. what I call him. But people are like, why are you calling him a woman's name? It's just his name. <laughs> but with Maya, um, I thought for a long time that what I needed was to like kickstart him to start thinking like I think. Mm. I thought mm-hmm. that I needed him to be more like me, passionate and dreaming and imagining about it and pushing for it and longing for it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, he never did long for the farm. He never did long for the homestead. And what I've really come to appreciate is the fact that I actually did not need Jeremiah to be more like me. I actually just needed him to be the wholeness of who he is, the fullness of who he is. And now that's been a journey. I mean, we're all on this journey to just realizing exactly how we were made as beloved image bearers, you know? And I look at who I was 10 years ago, and I was not walking in the revelation of that that I am now. And I hope that 10 years from now, there will be more growth and understanding. And that at the end of my life, I can look back and see this journey that I became aware of the glory of God in my life. And so I feel like I I mean I get asked a lot from women who are dreaming and they're pushing and they're like well my husband's on board to the extent that he'll he'll build it for me mm. but he doesn't really want it he's not really excited about it and there are now things that Maya has, is excited about. He loves horses. He loves the cows. He has his things on the farm. You know, like he is very knowledgeable in beekeeping, and there are things that are his things now. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when he has a thing and he has a system, I mostly stay out of it. I don't try to cater it to myself. I try, it's okay for it to be mm-hmm. catered to him. But Jeremiah is not a gardener. He's never been a gardener. I don't know that he'll ever be a gardener, but he builds me this, these most beautiful gardens. And I finally stopped. I finally stopped pushing for him to be more like me, and I started to see, like, wow, what an incredible act of love that he's willing to do the things I'm dreaming of, even if they're not his dreams. And I, I feel like it really brings the scripture into to focus of like how a a woman. We you know we hear a lot about women submitting to their husbands, but right before that, it's it's husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church, and when I really think about that. Jesus by serving the church with his life by laying down his life for the sake of the church ultimately builds his dream in the church. It's by the doing that he does that. And so mm-hmm. I I don't know, it's it's taken a lot for me to get to that place and don't get me wrong, I can still get terribly impatient because I'm like, "But aren't you excited about this we're building a house right now?" And we're like, going and looking at all the things. And I'm like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And he's like, honey, whatever you decide is going to be great. I'll build it. (laughs) (laughs) And I want his enthusiasm. I want his opinions. I want all of these things. But then I stop and go, wait, hold on. What if I actually just embrace the fact that he's empowering me to be a visionary and that if I am all of me here and he is all of him in this situation, we're going to end up with the end product of having built something amazing. Yeah. And it takes some adjustment. I mean, it takes some surrender for sure. What a beautiful perspective.
0: I mean, I needed to hear that because as you're sitting there talking, I'm like, well, that is my husband. Like he does help me in everything I ask him to do. Like, He absolutely does. And he does build whatever, you know, I ask like literally hammer and nail or whatever, you know, whatever I ask him to do around the house. And yeah, that's, that's really good. Very good. Glad wow. that I asked that question. <laughs>
1: so,
2: <laughs> one one other thought, like that I, I thought of is like a lot of times women ask me in regards, really, to this topic, is they're like, "How do you get your husband passionate about doing this?" And I don't know what it is. I think that it probably has something to do with womanhood. I mean, we can see it in. It was it was the the woman that showed up at Jesus's tomb bright and early on the third day. You know, like it, there is something with womanhood. I think that we are typically more visionary in a lot of cases, not all cases. That's not an absolute. But i I tried to convince my husband with my words that this conviction I had about growing food was worthwhile for a long time, and had no movement on that. It wasn't until I took that conviction and I began exercising it out in all the places that I could control. So like my first gardens were really small because that's all I could build by myself. My first applications of these convictions were meager in comparison to what I would have been able to do with his partnership because he has way more skills than I do in carpentry. I mean, just very practical. But when I was begging him for the gardens and he was like, I don't think you're going to stick with it. And the truth is he was right to think that I had quit a lot of hobbies. And so <laughs> what I did because I was I was so, so frustrated, I was so mad at him. Why aren't you making the way for me? Why aren't you making this dream a reality? And then I had to ask myself the question, Jessica, why aren't you making this dream a reality? Like just because you can't have the fullness of what you're envisioning doesn't mean you can't have anything. Again, turn your waiting room into a classroom. And so You know, I hobbled together some really small gardens and I served those gardens with my whole heart and took care of them with all the conviction that I had that this was important. And it was that that ultimately moved him. And then he came and built me a dream garden. But it wasn't in response to my words. It was in response to my actions. And I think that we have to be willing to introspectively stop trying to control the other people in the outside situations and look at what do I actually have control over? Because you will always be able to read the fruit of a person's convictions based on what they do with what they can control. I hear a lot of people making arguments about homesteading and gardening and saying, oh, we should be doing this and we should be doing that and talking about so many external factors of corruption and all these things. And everything that they're saying is true. But then I'm like, but I, but if you look at this person's daily choices, do they actually believe what they're saying? Because it's really easy to speak the truth, but it's a whole lot harder to let it really sink down into your heart that it actually changes what you have control over.
1: That's actually the exact reason we started this podcast. We started it based on values, but everyone can state their values. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone can say, oh, I value this. I value that. But the question is, do you actually understand that and do you live it out? So I really like how you said reading the fruit of a person's conviction and like how you started these little gardens. And that's what kind of like got your husband to come around and build you these bigger gardens. And it makes me think just of the gospel and, you know, um, where it talks about if you're married to an unbelieving spouse, let the wife win her husband essentially with the fruit of her convictions and the way she lives yep. her life and just shows you God is so smart. <laughs> like whether it's <laughs> literally showing someone the way to salvation or showing someone that you will follow through with gardening, you know, it's the fruit of a person's conviction. And I love that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's been a big compass for me because ultimately every time that I felt really stuck and really hopeless, it was because I was looking at all of the things that I didn't have the power to move. But in every single situation of feeling stuck and hopeless, if I turn back inward and I say, what is the next step within my power? You, there's always a next step. Mm. Sometimes yeah. the next step is that God's telling you, you need to be still. Mm-hmm. You need to be quiet. You know, you need to settle down. You're being pushed by fear and you need to stop. And then it it's very empowering. I mean, it's not always the most fun experience, but it is very empowering to allow yourself to go inward and ask, be a lamp unto my feet, light the next step. He promises mm-hmm. to light the next step. We always have a next step. The problem is, is that sometimes it's not as productive or dramatic or consequential apparently than we that what we're wanting. But if we're willing to take the next step that is being highlighted to us, it ultimately leads most consequentially to the places that we really actually wanna go.
1: Yeah, very good.
2: Well, you
0: brought up gardening and you brought up fear a little bit there. So let's move into that because that was one of the reasons that my friend reached out saying you should talk to her because she said you talk about food security a lot and the importance of gardening and preparing, but not from A standpoint of fear ever is what she said, which we appreciate that on this podcast. Like we talk about values, we talk about things going on in the world, but we do not ever want to lead, lead by way of fear. We want people to just be aware and be able to take action in their lives or, you know, just know how to interact with the world based on your values. So I appreciated that when she said that, and I hope that you can speak to it a bit today.
2: Yeah. Um, I love the garden. Um, I I dealt with, in my younger years, I dealt with a lot of anxiety. I dealt with a lot of depression. Um, the truth is, is, I had a lot of trauma uh, from various events of my life. And gardening, from a very practical standpoint, just brought a lot of peace to me. Because you can't rush it. Um, you're, you have to relinquish and surrender control to a certain degree. I mean, you can do your best and then you have to leave it there. And sometimes things go sideways from that. There's so much grace in the garden that a lot of times where you give up and you throw your hands up, it still produces. And so the garden became like this incredible picture of the gospel and of the kingdom and of relationship that I could touch and interact with. And it really brought a lot of the principles that prior had only been words to me, it brought them to life and, and really kind of made that journey from like my head to my heart and they became realities to me. Because you can have an idea and it not actually be a revelation. And what happened in the garden is that a lot of the ideas that had been presented to me in Christianity became revelations and they became mm-hmm. the reality of my life. And of course, throughout this, I had been, I had served a lot in ministry. I had done a lot in ministry. And then I kind of go into the garden and it was a really uncomfortable stripping season. The years, when I talk about like our early homesteading years and the, the early part of my YouTube, that was a very stripping period for me where essentially the Lord, I, I had to lay down so many of the things that I'd built. I'd built a photography business. I was a birth photographer Um, I was traveling a lot in ministry and speaking and leading worship and doing all these different things. I was doing a lot of things and I was ultimately missing out a lot on my children. And here I was receiving the fulfillment of this dream of a farm and I was missing out on a lot of it. And it was a very hard thing for me to kind of surrender to the fact that the Lord was saying, I don't want you on a stage somewhere. I don't want you behind the camera. I don't want, yes, you are gifted in those things, but that's not what I have for you to do. I gave you these children to steward and I gave you this land to steward and I gave you this garden to steward and I want you in those things. And I thought when I was led to that decision, I thought what I was doing was giving up all the places of influence that I had. um, And I was doing it a little begrudgingly, a little bit frustrated, but ultimately with a willing heart. My heart was always to be obedient and to serve the Lord. And it was after laying all of that stuff down that I got this word of YouTube and I started to have this desire and then it started to grow. And interestingly, when I surrendered... All of the things I was doing that I thought were for him, and he told me, "But I want you to do this thing." I ended up really inheriting something a hundred times more than anything I was originally trying to do. So, in that, while I'm f- being completely wooed by the garden, while I am just like having these aha moments daily, while I'm while I'm learning to be still, while I'm learning to stop striving, while I'm learning all these things, I'm also you know, seemingly in contradiction, working harder than I ever have in my life, you know, like as, as one does when they're homesteading. And mm-hmm. it was such an incredible season that ultimately I was stripped of all my striving, but I also was stripped of all my fear. Because again, it's almost like, hey, we built this family against all odds. We could build anything. And it's like with the Lord, it was like, hey, you led me into this garden and you led me into rest and you led me into true kingdom influence for you. What would I be afraid of? And I, I still have moments that I become fearful, but I can take that to him and remind myself of all the things that he's done in the past. And I think for a lot of people, and especially when I'm talking to young women that are really like in their 20s, they're really finding their footing and like family and hearing from the Lord and all these things, my greatest thing that I could say to them is, if you're still dealing with fear, keep taking that next step and let him build some experiences in your life. Let him build some altars in your life, and these moments of surrender become the weapon that you use fifteen years later to fight down giants. i mean it's it's very much I think of David I mean he had he had fought the lion in the field, and therefore he remembered what God would do in an impossible situation. And I feel that a lot and right now post covid i mean the world has changed massively mm-hmm. in such a short period of time none of us saw it coming and when it came none of us knew exactly what was going to happen and right now i don't i i can't imagine i don't even, i guess that's probably not accurate i'm sure people have lived through more fearful times than this but there is so much uncertainty we have got to maintain a place of surrender and I I hear from countless people because I am openly Christian because I am gardening because I am teaching sustainability I hear how many people are hearing that nudge and that whisper from the Lord and I feel like it would be completely foolish to act like that doesn't mean something I mean the number of people who are sharing I had this happening I had this encounter I had this dream I had this and I just feel like I need to grow more food. And the thing that I want to be able to do when these people crash into me with all of their fear, I remember what it was like to hear that message. I spun out bad. We spent two years, I mean, in just complete and utter fear. I remember that. But when people crash into me in that moment, the thing that I want to be able to reassure them is like, when my alarm goes off in the morning, I don't tear out of bed in fear And you know, tear through my house getting ready. I'm not panicked. I'm not. I'm not freaking out just because an alarm is going off. Doesn't mean that there's a reason to be afraid. An alarm just means it's time to get up. Like it's time to wake up. It's time to move. And in fact, if you're just hearing the alarm for the first time, it actually means that you have time to get up without being rushed. Now, if you want to ignore it for a while, you could take the rushed morning you could have to skip your coffee. You know, you could have to show up to work with your hair in a ponytail. Like, but if you get up and start moving, when you first hear the alarm, you actually have a really lovely morning to look forward to. And I feel like that's where a lot of people are. And I just want to reassure them, Hey, it's okay. Cause people are coming. I hear an alarm. I hear an alarm. I'm like, okay, we'll simmer down. Just get out of bed. You know, it's fine. <laughs> just, what do you need to do to get ready? Bake. <laughs> it's okay. That's <laughs> great. It's a great I mean, analogy.
1: It really is a great analogy. And I just, I really think there's an important message that people need to hear, that Christians need to hear. And that's about listening to the Lord. You know, like a lot of people don't know how to do that. And I include myself in that because I don't always know how to listen either. You know, like there's very clear things that God has told me through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I'm like, but am I hearing that right? And you know, you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. Um, But if we all learn to listen, To the Lord uh, be a a huge game changer. Um, But you had said um, you surrendered the things that you thought you were doing for him. Mm -hmm. That is so relatable. And Rita and I actually, in a podcast episode, just a couple episodes ago, we were talking about um, the sermon, The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. And we had Mm -hmm. talked about how, you know, as Christians, we're called to pick up our cross and carry it. And It brought my mind right back to that moment because there's so many times I believe that we think we're picking up our cross to carry him. And we're like, this is for you, God. This sacrifice, this, whatever it is, this is for you. Only to come to find out that we were deluding ourselves and that yes, that was a good thing, but it's not what he was actually calling us to do in that moment. And so I'm so thankful that we serve a God that, you know, reveals something to us. And then later we have a lovely woman on our podcast to talk about (laughs) gardening and homesteading. And he just reiterates the point, like, who are you listening to? Your fear, um, society, or are you listening to the Lord?
2: Yeah, that, that has been just so much of my walk with him because I am... I was an A student, you know, through elementary school and in the gifted and talented program. And I wanted to sit on the front row because I wanted to be right by the teacher because I loved being able to answer questions. And I, I liked being good. Mm. And through my life, through much of my life, I was very much a rule follower. Now, I definitely had some periods of time where that was not the case, but it, in being a rule follower, I remember getting into an argument once with a friend, and I was being a little confrontational because they were struggling with some different things. And I really didn't have a good grasp on Grace. And they said, "God, you would be so much better to be in relationship with if you had some vices." <laughs> and I was like, wow. what does that even mean? You know, And now, years later, I haven't picked up vices per se, but I realized that, like, everybody is in process. And for me, though, some people may have had to struggle through addiction and some people may have had to struggle through their inferior identity in some other way. For me, my struggle was that I thought I had to earn it. Like I thought that mm-hmm. I had to earn it and I did not know how to rest in the Lord. And I think the reason why he stripped me of my accomplishments and of my productivity and of you know really i thought at the time that he was stripping me of of being anointed i thought that at the time he was stripping me of being gifted because being sat down when speaking is what you feel most alive doing and being sent home to cook for your family i'm sitting here going why are you punishing me that that was my actual thought and i again i don't even know that it was genuinely <laughs> I, I think that I did it because I think that I obeyed that leading more than anything because I was afraid not to. It w- really wasn't out of any sense of trust. Now, with the maturity of how the situation has played out, I really understand that, like, I think it's Romans 8 that says that he uses all things for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the thing that I have really come to understand, he used my zeal for his good and for mine, for his glory and for my good. He used my determination to prove myself. He used that. And he used the fact that I was afraid of him punishing me to get me positioned where I needed to go. He can literally use every single thing. And I pray, I say I pray insurance against myself because I'm very aware now that I can very zealously run off a good with a good idea that's not a God idea. And I pray now all the time, will you please shut the doors that I'm not meant to walk through? And what that has meant is facing some really disappointing closed doors with gratitude in my heart. And I can worship him for closed doors now because I see it as his love for me. And really, it is just a deep level of surrender to say, I don't, just want good things. Now, on the other hand, the Proverbs 31 woman considers a field and buys it. She makes her husband proud as he sits at the city gate. Like, that is not to say that we have to be anxiety ridden over every single decision. You know, sometimes I just make decisions because I'm like, I want to do that. And I have full trust because I have asked him to, that he will shut it down if it is going to be detrimental to me. He wants us to make decisions. And so it is kind of this juxtaposition between being completely dependent and then also having independence in your solid identity in him and being connected and being led enough that you can make every step with the confidence that he's so on it that you will not get led off track. Yeah. Yeah. Those all things I
1: need to yeah. hear. This is, like, <laughs> this is why I'm so thankful to have a podcast for multiple reasons. But I mean there's no other way that I would get to just have these conversations on a random Friday morning with someone from South Carolina, as I sit here in <laughs> British Columbia, you know what I mean? And to just hear from you and be encouraged by you. And then on top of that blessing, we get to share it with a bunch of other people who need to hear these things too. Like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm pretty yeah. thankful for that. It is cool. <laughs> Taking a quick break from our conversation with Jess to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, which is the Fresh Test. You guys, when Rita and I were talking about who was going to read what ad today, um, we decided I would do the Fresh Test and I'm happy to. And Rita said the best thing about their product is that It's such a simple idea, but such a genius idea. And that's exactly how I would describe it. This is a test for you if you are pregnant and need to be testing for gestational diabetes, which we all do. I wish this was, or at least I knew about this option when I was having my babies. There are no unnecessary additives in this, just three simple ingredients that anyone can order to fulfill their gestational diabetes test. So whatever you do, (laughs) Don't take that poisonous orange drink. And I know that people wouldn't say it's poisonous, but when you consider all the ingredients that they put in there and just one of them is no good for you, why would we mix them all together and take them while we're growing a human life inside of us? It's just, it doesn't make sense. And that's why the fresh test is such a genius idea. So click the link in our bio to check out the fresh test. If you are pregnant or know someone who is this is what you need to be checking out. So click the link in our bio and use the code boomclock to save 10% on your order.
0: That kind of leads me into having a platform. So my friend that suggested you, we are discussing, we're, we do co-op together for homeschool. And we were discussing the other day, um, she'd brought up whether or not we were even intended to have platforms. And it was really interesting because I had just the day before, bought a book about Christians having platforms and whether or not it was a good thing. And so it was very interesting that she brought that up. And um, I was talking to her about it and I said, I don't like having a platform. And then now, Erin, if you're listening, I, upon further reflection this last week, I realized I do actually like having a platform because of the reason Cecily said, I like being able to have interesting conversations, like being able to have a place to put my thoughts out. And I like having a wide variety of people to respond to my thoughts with different um, opinions of their own. But it's the platform that I like. It's the pedestal I have a problem with. Like I don't like being on a pedestal. So let's talk about having a platform a little bit and how you deal with that. I think she used the word fangirling. Like some people like fangirl and how you feel about that.
2: Yeah, so it's it's definitely been something that I've had to work through, challenge myself on, and really kind of honestly wrestle out. Like when you talk about like working out salvation with fear and trembling, like this is one of those areas that has required a lot of working out for me. Um, I run into people at Costco who cry <laughs> wow. to each other. It's a very bizarre experience. However, the, let me see. I'm, I'm trying to like find my words to make sure I, I word it right. The thing that ultimately helped me make my peace with the discomfort of being on a stand is that you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. You put it on a lampstand to light the house. Okay, that's So good. we're <laughs> admonished in scripture to get oil in our lamps. And so if you do that, what's yep. going to happen? If you're lit, if you're bright, if you are a light, A city on a hill, what's going to happen? I see so many people chasing a platform, desperately trying to get it, doing whatever they can. They're, you know, this is nothing against TikTok dances and stuff like that. But I see people doing things that you can see that their heart is not in, like doing TikTok dances that you can see that their heart is not in it. Some people are loving it, in which case, more power to them. But I see people doing things that they're, they're obviously very uncomfortable with, but they're doing what they think they have to do to get the thing they so desperately want. And if you want influence in our culture, get oil. <laughs> that's, just, that's literally the bottom line of what influence is. It's those who have oil largely being set as a, a light on a lampstand and it brings light to other people. When it comes to people's like fangirl reactions and different things like that, I have a lot of grace for it. I typically will just start crying with them. Um, I have been in situations with people that I greatly admire that I've felt the same way. I think you can deeply admire a person and be moved by them emotionally without worshiping them. So to to lump it all together as fangirling as all misappropriated worship and things like that, I just don't think that that's the case. Now, we obviously see a ton of misappropriated worship in the world, you know, like many people are giving their gaze to much inferior things than Jesus. But I ultimately, I can't control their journey. I can't lead them, guide them, change them, convict them. I totally have full confidence that the Holy Spirit can. So for me, it's influence is a currency like anything else, like money and time and these worldly things that were given to steward in this lifetime that really will have no effect in eternity. I just view influences like money or like time. Those things aren't even going to exist anymore outside of this life. And the same thing with influence. It's not going to exist, but how can I use it? Like I use my money, like I use my time, like I use any other resource that I have, to bring glory to God, to serve him, to build a legacy, to serve my children, to build a strong home? How can I honor with all of the decisions that I make? And ultimately, I think what that does is it gives you more oil. You know, like when you're living in devotion and you're out of that place and your heart is for the kingdom, your lamp is going to be full of oil. And therefore, you're going to end up on a stand. That's anytime I see somebody striving for a platform, I'm just like, honey go inside and figure out why there's no oil in your lamp. Because if you are having to work to get yourself on a stand, like you will always have to work to keep yourself on that stand. But if all you do is you go after oil in your lamp, you will not be put under a basket. It's just not gonna happen. Wow, this was so
1: good. I mean, right when you started talking about, you know, you don't wanna put your your light under a bushel. I forget exactly the words you used there. (laughs) but I can just see Rita going, okay. Like, all right. Yes. That makes sense. And then just the way you broke it down, like, yeah, if you put oil in your lamp, guess what's going to happen? You know, like so, right. And there's a lot of freedom in realizing that. Um, yeah. So appreciate that answer. And there is (laughs) freedom. Yeah, Like you said. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and truly I've I've challenged myself because for a long time I said, I don't want a platform. I don't want a platform. I don't want a platform. And this is something that I think that we Christians are very guilty of doing. Have you ever had the Lord tell you to do something but you don't feel qualified? And so when you tell other people, well, God told me to do this and I really wrestled with him. I really fought him on this. I really this, I didn't wanna do that. And I finally questioned myself. I'm like, why am I saying that? Why am I proud of my hard heartedness to him? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I wearing that like some sort of badge of qualification? Because I did it. And so now, like, I've been challenging myself. We're opening businesses because we felt led to. And I want to tell everybody, I'm not a businesswoman. I'm not a businesswoman. I'm not really after those things. But you know what? If the Lord tells me to open businesses, who am I to say I'm not a businesswoman? Do I not believe Him? And so... I had to, and I'll, it still comes out of my mouth sometimes. And I'll be in the middle of a conversation. i like, sorry, I said that. I didn't really mean that. I am a businesswoman, actually. I'm trying to align my heart with what he says. And so I had to stop saying, I don't want a platform. I said it for a long time. It still comes out occasionally. Sometimes this is a very uncomfortable thing to do. I mean, you're in the line of fire. You're in the public site. You're on the front line. You're getting people's opinions. It's it's hard sometimes. Yeah. But when I say I don't want a platform, then I stop and I'm like, no, actually I want to serve the Lord with every single fiber of my being. And if that means I'm being uncomfortable in what he tells me to do, I want a platform because that's what ultimately I want is to do what he says. Yeah. Can I tell Amen. you, like, I have struggled with this so much personally.
0: And when you said, you know, you say, oh, I, I'm not a businesswoman," I, I just, and you said, <laughs> I have to pause and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I, I think all the time after these conversations, like, why did I say stuff like that? And it's like, I'm uncomfortable. And so I'm trying to make other people comfortable. They're not uncomfortable with me having this, but I, for some reason, like I'm trying to like apologize for things and oh, it just becomes a big mess. I'm like, just shut your mouth, Rita. Just stop.
2: Like, <laughs> hey, still... it's real. You know, like the, the thing that I've really come down to is that I want to know what I believe. And I mean, Mm -hmm. we said this at the beginning. I said, you know, the fruit of a person's convictions is going to be evident in their life. A person is ultimately going to live out what they believe, even in spite of themselves. They may say one thing and do something completely different. That's why we're told to read fruit. Like the fruit of someone's convictions is going to be evident in their life. And unfortunately, some very loud voices are very fruitless. And so we can't listen to know what's true, we have to look. And for me, when, I, when I'm when i sitting here and I'm spending hours and hours a day creating content, trying to do it excellently, learning more, doing all of that, and I'm saying I don't want a platform, I have to have grace for myself that if you look at my actions, my actions are obedience. My actions are stewardship. My actions are following after growth and doing what I've been called to do excellently. Now that I don't want a platform, that's coming from my insecurity, that's coming from my fear, that's coming from the desire to self-protect because when you're on a platform, there is a target on you and people are so quick to criticize. Who do you think you are? What is it mm-hmm. that you think that makes you so special that you should be the person talking? People can be really ugly. Most people actually aren't. We just assume they are because the one, the one dissenting voice rings louder than the hundred that get behind us. But I've really just come again to asking myself, like, what do you believe? And trying to line up my words with what I actually believe. Because it's true. The, the A man speaks out of the overflow of his heart. If that's coming out of my mouth that I don't want to platform, even if all of my actions are stewarding, there must be something in my heart that hasn't surrendered yet. And I want to mm-hmm. get to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the truth of it is, is that... Who we say we are and who we think we are really doesn't matter at all. We are who God says we are, right? And yeah. and we need to live truly who he says we are. So I really appreciate um, yeah. your clear gospel encouragement on that. Thank yeah. you. <laughs>
2: it's it's true. I've I've always said it. I'm like, I can go outside every day and say the sun's not shining, but it does not change the sun one Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I can believe that I am not you know, a living image of the love of God. I mean, that's what we were created to be. And I can pretend that I'm not, and I can be unaware of who I actually am. Mm -hmm. And that will affect ultimately what I choose to do, but I cannot change his love for me. I can't. Even in my unbelief, I can't. That's good. As we kind of like wrap up here, I guess, like
0: we've talked a lot about, I don't know how to put it, um, just like God in our lives and how we're living out our life. But I kind of want to get into some practical gardening, seed saving, um, the history of like food being shipped over, things like that. Can you talk through that a little bit?
2: For sure. Um, You know, we are in the, such an interesting time to be alive. I did a video this week talking about the first ever GMO, tomato seed it's the first home gardening genetically modified seed that's ever been available was just released it was announced this week which in and of itself that seed is probably harmless you know it may even have some beneficial factors but the the question i posed is what is this introducing like what could be on the coattails mm-hmm. of this and if we largely just embrace GMO home gardening seeds, what could be the next seeds that are introduced? What could be the next seeds that are introduced? How much of a spread of genetically modified seeds in home gardens is going to affect seed saving and heirloom seeds? And I think that we have to have that question. Now, I am I am um, an organic gardener. I love saving seeds. I love growing heirlooms. I don't have anything against hybrids necessarily. I don't think that they're all bad or anything, but for the most part, I like heirlooms because I like the story and the quality. I love being able to grow something that you can't go get at the store. And my, my encouragement to anybody who's getting into gardening is to just start. Just start however you can. Again, like don't imagine the ideal garden and wait for that, you would do better. If you can't do your ideal garden, grow a few pots on the patio, grow some herbs in the kitchen window, start some seeds. If you can put up a four by four raised garden bed, you could learn more in your first season of gardening than you could possibly imagine. Um, Gardening is not hard. It is not rocket science. Um, Plants are designed to want to grow. Mm -hmm. And... All we have to do is come along and give them the optimum conditions for them to grow, and we get food for it. It's it's mm-hmm. so simple. Um, whenever that's the number one message that I try to tell people It's like, "Hey, this is super simple, and you can totally do it." I meet so many people who are like, "Oh, I have a black thumb. I can't grow anything. I, you know, I kill all the things." And I'm like, "You just got to start." Now, for a person who has been gardening, um, I think that goal setting is huge. And finding areas where you can grow as a gardener every single year. So I've been gardening now for, I mean, in certain capacities, again, for almost 20 years on a large scale for about 10, like on a really large scale. And every year I set challenges my for myself to grow as a gardener. So this year, one of my challenges was to have like a much more detailed garden plan because I've always been kind of fly by the seat of my pants and I haven't optimized efficiency. So I wanted to grow in planning and structure this year. Um, I wanted to grow in, like I'm finishing up my the structure of my garden, a lot of the beauty of it and all that stuff. So that's one of my gardening goals this year. One year, one of my gardening goals was like to do a dwarf tomato project. One year, my gardening goals was to cook something out of my garden for every single meal during the garden season. I mean, I've, I've set all kinds of different goals, but if we continue to show up as a student, there's a lot that we can learn. So maybe somebody's goal this year would be to save seeds Mm -hmm. and write a list of all the things you have growing and figure out if you want to isolate those blossoms to get pure seeds, or if you want to risk saving some that may be cross-pollinated, it would be fine if you did. You know, it can be as extensive of a lesson as you want it to be, or as laid back as a lesson. And I think that, when we're committed to growing as a gardener and learning as a student, there are so many lessons that we can learn. Um, so right now, I, I know you guys, I, I think you said you're in British Columbia. i am in South Carolina, so I'm starting seeds like this week. Um, it's really, it's warm here. So our garden season is like now. I'm beginning seed starting. I'll be planting things out in like six weeks from now. Um, but for a lot of people, I think right now they may be like, well, I love gardening, but I buy my plants. And I want to keep doing that. We'll take one more step. Always take a step towards better. Maybe challenge yourself this year to start some seeds. Worst case scenario is it doesn't work and you have to go buy plants. So don't get carried away in buying seeds so that it's not, you know, a financial blow. If you fail, it's okay to fail. Like I think embracing failure in the garden is one of the most empowering things you could possibly experience because you're going to fail. Like even the very best gardeners who have tons of experience, they still have bad years for things. I had like three cucumbers last year one year i grew so many cucumbers the pig stopped eating them like i so obviously it's not a meat issue <laughs> so yeah. like you just it's going to happen mm-hmm. um but yeah i would say like setting a challenge for yourself and obviously i'm sure the listeners of this are going to be all over the board as far as gardening experience for some people the challenge may be to just grow something for some people the challenge may be to Can 400 quarts. You know, for some people, the challenge may be to start saving all their seeds. I'm going to save seeds from everything that I grow this year. I'm going to save seeds from half of the things that I grow this year. You know, the challenge can be all over the self, all over the place. But for me, I I like to have like a good, solid two or three challenges that I am going to conquer and grow as a gardener. And oftentimes, I get to the end of the season and go, "Yeah, that that extensive planning wasn't worth it." I'm going back to flying by the seat of my pants. You know, like (laughs) yeah. Mostly though, I leave those challenges having new skills.
1: That's great. I think the idea of a challenge is good for someone like me who tends to be kind of all over the place at times. Um, Very focusing. So I'm going to take that and do that this year. Very specific question. In any of your books, do you talk about seed saving? Because it's something I've always wanted to do. But by the time we kind of get to the end of the gardening season, man, I'm tired. And so I just don't bother learning about it. So I need to learn about it before I need to do it. Or do you have a good resource that you'd point someone to? I
2: do have, um, I did cover it, not super extensively, like not, but there there is some information on it on my first time gardener's book. Um, I have a blog post on it that's pretty extensive. I have a very old video um, that is very extensive that shows examples of saving lots of seeds. So if you put Roots of Refuge seed saving in the uh, search bar of YouTube, it'll probably come up. Um, the main thing with seed saving is, is knowing that you have two different things that we're primarily growing for food in our garden. We We're, we're growing fruit, Which a fruit is in botanically speaking is just Mm -hmm. the seed bearing structure of a plant. It's essentially like the plant's ovary. So this is like your tomatoes and your peppers and your cucumbers and your squashes. These are all fruits. Mm -hmm. And then we have what we call vegetables, which is a culinary term. Botanically, there's there is not vegetable. Like there is no vegetable in the botanical world. So what we call vegetables in the kitchen are actually just parts of plants that we harvest. So like celery is a stem, kale is a leaf, carrot is a root. Um, And for anything that is a vegetable, we are typically harvesting those things young. So like with your carrot or your radish or your beet or your turnip root vegetables, you're going to harvest those out before they get really big and hard and pithy because we want nice tender roots. So when you harvest, you pull that root out of the ground. You killed that plant. You're eating it. That's it. That's what you get. So for fruits, we pick them when they're ripe. And when they're ripe, the seeds are ready to save. So for instance, a summer squash or a cucumber, you're not picking that when it's ripe. You're picking that fruit when it's young. If you want to save the seeds, you have to let the fruit fruit get ripe. And by the time a cucumber gets ripe, it's way too big. The seeds are way too hard to eat. It's no, the skin is really tough. Uh, tomatoes and peppers, those are different. You know, with melons, we eat those things at optimum ripeness. Uh, but whatever the fruit the fruit is you're wanting to save seed from, it needs to be ripe. With the vegetables that you're growing, you need to let them go until you can see the seeds. So if you have a cabbage. And you can, if you have a cabbage and you want to save seeds from it, you can go out and it can be a beautiful cabbage head. It would make great sauerkraut. And you look all over that plant, you don't see any seeds. They're not ready yet. And so wait until you see the seeds. What will happen with a cabbage, it's going to grow this big center stalk. When you wait for seeds, you do not get to eat the, the cabbage. It grows a big center stalk. It sets seed pods, flowers, you know, like the flowers on brassicas are typically little puff things. Um... But it becomes very evident when it's seed saving time with a vegetable. But you are you are giving up eating that plant in order to save seeds from it. Whereas fruit, you can typically save some seeds out of it and eat the rest of the fruit.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the fruit has always been like very easy for me to be like, oh, I can save those. But the vegetables is not something yeah. I've ever done because I was like, oh, where do they go? Where do the seeds come from? Yeah, shows you how much research I've done on it. None.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's very simple whenever you say, if you can't see the seeds of a plant yet, it's because it's not time to harvest them yet. And if you, if you want seeds, you have to leave it alone until the seeds come. Um, So typically though, like, let's say you grow a row of radishes and you've got a hundred radishes in the ground. If I'm wanting to save seeds from those radishes, I I harvest 97 and I leave three in the ground for them to go to seed and there are more seeds on three radishes than I could possibly need for the next year. I mean, the multiplication in seed saving is wild. It's really very easy to save seeds from your garden, even whenever you're saving seeds from vegetables, because if you just plant a little bit extra, you can leave one or two to go to seed and harvest the rest. And so you're still getting a harvest and also getting some seeds.
1: My fear in seed saving and sorry, I know this is going on a while this portion, but my fear in seed saving has always been what if I screwed up and my seeds don't work and then I didn't order seeds and like, which is not a big deal if you have a small garden, but I have a huge garden. So it's like, it's not easy necessarily to late in the later in the season, go and get all the seeds I need if I screwed up,
2: you know? Well, one thing you can do is at the end of seed saving, so you know, let's say this garden year, you're going to save the seeds for next garden year. Um, You can do like what a germination test Uh, and this will put your mind at ease. So let's say you save a baggie full of radish seeds. We'll take five of those and put them on a wet paper towel, put them in a Ziploc bag and put them in a bright place and let them germinate. Uh, And once you see them germinate, you can, if it breaks your heart to throw them in the trash, eat the little microgreens and know that you're going to have valid seeds for the next year. Right. Um, For the most part, I've really never had any issues with homegrown seeds just not growing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only time that I would really see that being potentially a prevalent issue for people is when they're saving seeds out of things like cucumbers and squashes and they just don't wait for the seeds to get big enough. Mm -hmm. So if you are trying to save seeds, say, from your cucumber plants, one, always wait until you are done harvesting for the most part. Because a plant genetic drive to create seeds, the reason it's creating fruit in the first place is a plant wants to reproduce. So all a plant is trying to do in setting all its flowers and all its fruit is it's trying to reproduce. So if you let it go to seed, if you let it produce fruit big enough to have viable seed, it stops largely producing new flowers. So if you do this with your first fruits of the plant, you're gonna greatly hinder your harvest. So harvest all the cucumbers you want. And when you are so sick of making pickles that you don't want to look at a cucumber again, leave it alone and let some of the fruits on the plant get really, really big. Don't be hasty to pull them off. Once they get so big that you're not seeing a lot of viable change, you're not seeing like daily differences, the skins are turning really orange, they're getting really hard. It's going to get to a point that you're like, okay, this thing hasn't changed for a few days. I think that this is ready. Then you take it off and you can take the seeds out. Um, that's very intimidating to people who have only ever harvested all their fruit and they've never seen how big they'll get. I mean, we've all come across baby-sized zucchini in our garden just because like they get away from you. You know, like one is hidden and you're like, oh my goodness, this zucchini looks like an infant. It's huge. But have you ever let one stay on there until it just stops changing? That's what you have to do to save the seeds, but you always want to do it towards the end after you've made what harvest you're going to
1: helpful. Thank you. Um, I would love to talk about how a lot of the time when you're living like a homesteader lifestyle, growing as much of your food, as far as vegetables in the garden or animals for meat, etc. people are like, Oh, good for you. But that's like so weird. You know, when <laughs> in reality, you know, up until I think I had read on one of your things, or in a video. It was the 1920s approximately when food yeah. started shipping places, which is a hundred years ago, which in the yeah. grand scheme of humanity is such a small period of time. And yeah. growing your own food was normal. Like, how did we get to yeah. this point so quickly?
2: Yeah, it's it's alarming, really. I think they say the first like actual supermarket came onto the American scene in like the 1950s or something like that. Like prior to that, it was all like lo- very small local grocers that were, were selling things that were locally grown and brought in. And then potentially some, they would they would ship in some staples like sugar and flour and stuff like that. Um, I think realizing that for yourself gives you all of the permission that you need to be like, oh, this isn't weird. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, people think it's normal to eat McDonald's. People think that it's normal to eat food. They have no clue where it grew. They have no clue the way that it was produced. They have no clue what has gone into the processing of it. And people think that's normal. When we got our first chickens, I was so freaked out about eating the eggs. I was like, is this safe? I mean, mean, (laughs) because I'm a millennial. I just grew up in the grocery (laughs) store and I... I wasn't confident yet in the processes of home-growing food. And so, yeah, when, you've, when you're not confident yet and other people are saying that it's weird, you're like, is it weird? Is this safe? Is it okay? Now that we have raw milk from our home dairy, and I can tell when I open my fridge, we have three dairy cows, and I can, not always, but one of my cows is just very generous with her cream line. And I'm like, oh, that's Freya's milk. I know that that yeah. milk came from Freya. I find it absolutely bizarre the idea of going to the grocery store and getting a plastic jug of milk that came from potentially 200 different cows because it was all pumped into the same vat and then processed and all that stuff. That's weird to me now. It took a little while, you know, like it took some process, So now I'm pretty oblivious to people being like, oh, isn't that weird? I'm like, no, y'all are doing the weird thing. I'm doing the normal human thing that people did for, you know, the entirety of history, except for the last hundred years. So it is definitely a process to go through to like shift the mindset. But once you get firmly rooted in it and it's just like the rest of it becomes weird, it's just kind of like, yeah, people don't know what they don't know, you know? And yeah, it's okay. But yeah, the the shipping that we currently do was really introduced in the 1920s prior to that any sort of food shipping that happened was like for very very wealthy people you know what i mean like you could you could show off a dinner party to your friends in the 1700s by shipping in certain things and of course people were ex- importing spices and coffees and teas and things like that but the idea of perishable fruits being shipped across the world was completely unheard of outside of like wealthy people showing off
0: pretty much. Well, even like when I was a kid in the 80s, we didn't have avocados in our grocery store. Like I don't remember seeing avocados, just for example, I don't know. So things have changed even since just in my lifetime quite extensively,
2: I guess, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, so so, a lot's changed since then. Yeah.
0: Just spinning off this, the last thing I have really, Cecily had brought up that there was an emission study done where it said that home gardening causes more yes. CO2 emissions than, um, than shipping food and buying at the grocery store, one, and tying this in with, I think you had mentioned that food, um, uh, growing our own food is one of the last freedoms we have. And so yeah. I think those two things are linked together. They say the first sure. because they want to do away with the
2: last, but we'll- so this study <laughs> was done by the University of Michigan, and basically what happened, if you actually go read the case study itself, it it wasn't necessarily a bad study. What they were basically showing was that the way a lot of urban gardeners was, were doing things was building a lot of expensive infrastructure that essentially wasn't producing enough to to validate the input on the infrastructure. However, the study omitted transit as a factor. And the, the implication of the study was saying, hey, we should be more mindful in how we're building things, especially on a consumer level rather than a commercial level and look at using recycled materials and you know, be mindful of production when we're building things. So I could see maybe that that was done, whatever. Now, the ma- the media grabbed a hold of it. And the media blasted it everywhere as home gardening is five times more detrimental to the environment as commercial gardening. But transit was not considered in the entire study. So the fact that I walk, you know, 40 steps to go harvest my food and it never has to use an ounce of fuel, that wasn't even considered. Now the study itself, I think really was more towards urban gardening than it... it, it's comparing apples to oranges, really. Mm -hmm. Now the media took that and of course pushed it towards the agenda of you shouldn't home garden. And home gardening is truly one of the very last freedoms that we have to be purely creators rather than consumers. And of course, we do have inputs and you can build gardens by spending as much money. I mean, you can do it cheaply. It just takes more time to build soil and all those things. But When I think about the fact that as a business owner, I pay taxes to pay myself and then I get the money as myself, you know, Roots and Refuge pays Jessica Sowers Mm -hmm. and then I get the money and then I pay taxes there and then I pay taxes on my car and on my home and on my land and then on the gas that I buy and then I go to the grocery store and I pay taxes on the food that I buy there. And like every single dollar that I earn is taxed so much (laughs) all the way down the Mm -hmm. line that it has given me such an appreciation for the fact that I can walk out to my yard and pull a tomato off. It never changes hands and I don't ever have to pay anybody a dollar to own it. Like it's, it's my tomato. It's my tomato <laughs> from creation to consumption. And there is so much value in that when you start looking, not just at the monetary value of things, but the level of control and independence. And Absolutely. having a garden that you can create Value without it being dependent on anybody else is huge and maybe more r- obvious now than it was 10 years ago, but getting more obvious every single day. Like, we should definitely be gardening right now. Yeah.
1: The way you said yeah. it's my tomato, and in my brain, I just tagged on, and you can't have it. Like, but the reality <laughs> is, like, it's true. And then also, though, thinking back to like, thinking back, I shouldn't say that because I wasn't alive, but thinking into history of like world wars and stuff, what became the most valuable commodity? What did the enemy soldiers try to steal? Yep. Food from people's home gardens, right? But right now we are fortunate enough that it is ours, you know, and it, is. Um, it's, it becomes a more valuable resource than money. In times
2: of struggle, so one hundred percent. I mean, if you study World War II, I mean, that war would have played out incredibly differently had it not been for the Victory Garden movement. Because I, you know, I I don't know how much reading you've done about that era. It's terribly fascinating. They actually went in uh, in England. They tore out all of the ornamental gardens at like Oxford University and. All of the places that had like renowned ornamental gardens, they tore them all out and planted food instead. At the time of the onset of World War II, I think Europe was producing like 60% of its food. It was 40% dependent on imports. And basically, I mean, one of the tactics that was used against the UK was that like their their supply ships were being sunk. They couldn't get their food in. And so they had to implore the British people to stand up and grow food. And they they had the ministry of food and there was it was a lot of regulation. There was a lot of control. I won't lie. If you read about it, I'm kind of like, oh man, how would I feel if they came to my farm and did that now? But like, it was on the backs of the individual taking responsibility for their own consumption that that war that they were able to hang in there for the time that was necessary to see victory in the end. And now I, I, I fear that so many of Modern people have gotten so far away from the idea of growing food. And as you said, people are like, that's weird that you do that. And I'm like, it's not weird to take responsibility for the fact that you eat. Like everybody eats. My kids eat. I eat. I'm going to eat until I die. (laughs) And if I stop eating, I'll die sooner. Like we have to eat. Therefore, taking responsibility for that seems like the most natural thing in the world. But it ultimately does give us power. It is a currency that we have the, the, capacity to create ourselves and control ourselves if we create it. Yeah. I just, there's no part of me that wants to
1: be dependent on anyone for the things that keeps my family alive, you know? And yeah, yeah. not to say I don't go to the store. Obviously I do, you know, but yeah. I also know that if push came to shove, I wouldn't have to, and we'd be okay. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's There's very few things in life that it's like, we absolutely need this. So I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable outsourcing that.
2: Yeah, I think that's wise. I think that always being aware of your dependence is wise. And being aware, if like knowing where you are dependent allows you to look at what you're dependent on and say, is it reliable for me to put a lot of weight on this? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, like, I mean, I still go to the store. I say, I go to the store largely for preference and variety. I could exactly. live off of what we made on our ha- on mm-hmm. our homestead, but we would get sick of eating the same things over and over. So I order fish and I, you know, like I try to source things well. I go to the store. I buy some things that are for convenience sake. Um, but I am fully aware of where I'm leaning into something and knowing, okay, if that goes away, I'm not going to be completely off-fitted and you know, done under, by it. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: lovely to go and buy oranges, you know, like I buy them weekly, but don't need them to survive, you know? So anyway, yeah. Yeah.
0: I like that line of thought. I'm going to have to get my hands on that study you referred to because I've got an inconsistency brewing in my mind because we fight the wind turbines here and the solar farms like coming onto our land and things. So I don't know. It's interesting how they have Ruled out gardening because of the infrastructure that it takes to create. And uh, I said that when I first
2: read that study, I was having to like stop my eyes from rolling out the back of my head. Yeah, <laughs> tried to be open minded, but I'm like, what? Meanwhile,
0: the what? infrastructure that it takes to um, put up a turbine and the transit that it takes to put up a turbine—you know—if you've ever seen any oh, yeah. of that—is pretty intense.
1: Well, yeah. and it just yeah. goes to show that any study. Be aimed in a certain direction exactly. and come out with certain outcomes, right? And how they aim all studies to come
0: to There's a certain, certain direction. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I'll just leave that there for now. Um, <laughs> all right. So I don't know. Do you have anything else, Cecily? You want to ask? And if not, I guess just anything else you want to say at the end and tell people where they can find you.
1: Yeah. No. I'm. I'm
2: good. So it's up to you, Jess, with what you got to tell us here. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I lo- I could talk about these things all day. Um. I'm at RootsAndRefuge.com, uh, Roots and Refuge on YouTube. I have a second channel called The Farmer's Table where I teach from scratch cooking uh, because that's a really big part. On a farm, we grow ingredients. So you have to know what to be able to do with them for it to actually be effective. And then of course, on like Facebook and Instagram, I'm Roots and Refuge there as well. That's awesome. Well, we loved having you on. So thank you so much for being here. And as always, if you want to find Rita and
1: I outside the podcast, you guys can find us on Instagram at Boom Clap Podcast, or you can find us individually. I'm on Instagram at Cecily.Vickey or my website, TheGraceToGrow.com. And
0: I'm at RitaRogersCo.com or RitaRogersCo on Instagram. Thanks for listening.